0: ED ECMO Episode 12, How to Establish a Nurse-Based ECMO Program at Your Facility. Yeah, welcome again everybody to another episode of the ED ECMO Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Suzanne Chilcott, who is a Mechanical Circulatory Lead at our facility, and we're going to talk about how to set up the nurse-based ECMO program. Okay, so today I am sitting here with Suzanne Chilcott. Uh, hi, Suzanne. Hi. Uh, Suzanne is our mechanical circulatory support lead here at Sharp Memorial Perfect, Hospital. Yes. By way of some background, you have been at Sharp now for, looks like, 28 years, if I do my long math. long time.
1: Way. I'm very old, yes.
0: <laughs> Not to say that. Uh, <laughs> For eight years, you were a surgical ICU nurse, Mm -hmm. and then now for the past 20 years, you've been the mechanical circulatory support lead. Correct. What does that title mean?
1: Uh, It means I run the artificial heart programs, the LVAD programs, and ECMO, balloon pumps, any kind of cardiac assist device. Um, We used to call it mechanical assist device. It sounded cooler, MAD coordinator. Um, but then the rest of the world went with MCS, so that's kind of what we changed to.
0: I see, and you said that includes ECMO, LVAD, various kinds of VADs. Correct. Uh, Correct. And Long and short
1: term. Got it. Balloon pumps, all of the, everything that would assist your heart.
0: Okay, so you've got, if I did my math right, roughly thirty-ish years of nursing under your belt.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah a little running, bit more. And <laughs> running,
0: essentially, wow, well, and essentially running our ECMO, LVAD, mm-hmm. mechanical circulatory support program here at Sharp. For
1: the last twenty, yeah.
0: And Suzanne, one of the biggest questions that we're getting now is is how to go about starting an ECMO program, and whether that's an ED-based ECMO program de novo, meaning starting it from scratch,
1: right.
0: or transitioning an ECMO program from an in-house program to being used to in the it ED. take down to the ER. So I wanted to discuss a few things okay. regarding that. Um, first of all, our ECMO program at Sharp, and I'm mm-hmm. not talking about the ED ECMO program, which we all know has been going on since 2010. Right. But how long have we been doing ECMO, The uh, program
1: started here in 1985, long time. Actually, before I became the med coordinator, there was a um, woman in front of me that um, got it up and running with obviously cardiovascular surgery with a uh, key champions. And that, that's the real secret to start a program is you need medical champions, you need physicians. Um, generally, it's cardiovascular surgery that is really the champion of the program. You need nursing on board um, and, again, a champion or someone that's really going to kind of Direct the program and perfusion. Those are the three main components, and you really got to have strong people in each of those, in each of those positions to make it happen and make it work to get it started. Um, and then for us, it was actually relatively easy to roll it into the ER. Once we had you and Zach down there, kind of champion for us down there, then getting everybody else on board was real easy because all the infrastructure was built. Um, to have the nurses in house that can come and respond to you, all you got to do is get Canyon in and everything else is kind of already in place. It's the getting everything else in place that's kind of the hard part.
0: Yeah, that's the part that most people seem to have trouble yeah, with.
1: Yeah. It is starting up a program like that is tough and most hospitals now across country all have ECMO capability. They can all do it. The the difference is the way that we do it and the way they do it is they have perfusionists that run at the start it and so you have to have perfusionists in house. So classically it's used on somebody that they can't get off bypass and surgery doing routine cabbage or valve or something that goes south then they'll have the provisionist just switch over their permanent bypass machine, put them on a portable ECMO, take them out of the OR and get them into the unit for a day or two until, until they, for a day or two until they can fix the problem and in most hospitals are capable of doing that everything around here in San Diego can the big difference in the big break is um, having people in house 24-7 that can set it up and get it running and primed and everything in ten minutes. And to do that you either need to have a big stack of money that you can use perfusion <laughs> in the house to do it or you're going to need to train your nurses. And then you need nurses that can drop whatever they're doing and go put it in somebody in ten minutes. And, and that's kind of the big difference in how we run it and how a lot of other centers run it.
0: So what you're saying then is our ability to get patients on pump emergently is, is very yep. Very in tune with the fact that we use nurses to yeah, run our pumps initially, is. and then transition them to the perfusionist running the pump.
1: Yeah, and there are other centers around the country, that, interestingly enough, that'll have perfusion start the program, start them up on, on in surgery, like I said, and then they'll have nurses babysit it at the bedside. California is—I is, don't know if it's litigious or what the story is—but our legal department here at Sharp has said no way, there's no way I can defend that because you're. Um, if you had to try and defend it in court, you're replacing a lesser-priced individual, a nurse, with a perfusionist, and it just never fly. And so we've never been able to have nurses basically babysit it. The easy part, truthfully, is watching the patient after they go on. The hard part is getting them on to start with. And we, do it, we have the nurse kind of do the heavy lifting. And then the profusionist sort of babysit it afterwards.
0: So totally legit to have a nurse do the initiation of running the pump yeah. and then transition that to the profusionist. Absolutely. And,
1: and our legal department, is all, that they're the ones who really kind of dictated that because that's easy to defend. The only option is to leave them dead because you don't have a profusionist in the house. Sure. Easy to defend.
0: Okay, let's go back because you were mm-hmm. talking about the beginning of the program 20 plus, th- almost 30 years ago yeah. when the program started here at Sharp. Was it a nurse-based program at that time? Yes,
1: so the, from inception, yep.
0: nurse-based program. So this is yep. a, you really kind of thinking ahead of yeah. the curve at the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The way they put it together, is brilliant.
0: And you were saying that the initial indications for use of ECMO mm-hmm. was primarily for support of post-operative patients.
1: That's how it kind of started. Yeah. It really did, because they were already on bypass. You're just changing over to make it a more portable kind of a system. Um, and, and that is truly how it started everywhere, like that. Um, using it emergently is, is kind of a new sort of an avenue. Um, we Because we were a nurse-based program, we've been doing that all along, but as more and more people are getting involved in it, and there's machines out there now that are probably easier to prime, plug and play type stuff, mm-hmm. and so I think um, having nurse-run programs is going to become more the model that everybody uses hmm. in the future.
0: Over the decades, over the last several years, we yeah. started noticing an increased use of ECMO for patients that weren't coming off
1: Correct. Coming out of surgery. Yeah, yeah.
0: So maybe you can talk about some of the patients over the years that you've seen, or maybe how that progressed over time as we've been begun using the, the technology more.
1: Um, I think more than anything it's a comfort level. Initially when it first started, it was just cardiovascular surgeons putting the cannula in. They're big cannula. They're scary for anybody that looks mm-hmm. at them. They're, that's just what they are. Um, and so initially it was all cardiovascular surgeons putting it in. And so you had to have a surgeon in-house to do it. So that, again, putting you in back in the OR or something. And then cardiology got involved, and they were putting them in in the cath lab. They're used to putting lines in. This is just bigger, um, and then we got pulmonologists involved in it, and then we went to interventional radiology, and now we're using ER docs. And so it, it's a, been a gradual progression of the guys who were able to place cannula for us. That's the only part that's sort of evolved as we've gone along here. The the, the nurse-run part of it and the perfusion, you know, babysitting part of it. That hasn't changed a bit. Hmm. It, it's been the physicians we've added on to the hmm. folks that can put cannula in, and get them started on pump.
0: Hmm. So it really does seem like the key, one of the big keys to this whole thing, is this nurse-run program because that allows nurse already in it, so, it makes it financially
1: viable. It makes it financially viable program for a hospital to kind of try and do.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So why don't you talk then about? Can you tell us about how? Wh- how does the so the nurse-run program? Uh-huh talk about training talk about cost and price, yeah. cost yeah. and, price okay. and how do we how, how do those nurses sort of cross train
1: uh-huh. in
0: in ECMO, but then also their okay. ICU nurses and how that transition occurs the,
1: in real time. Um, the way it's set up here is uh, it's SICU nurses only, You can apply for the team, and it is applied, applied for a position. Um, it, it's kind of coveted. They're looked at as, you know, these are the leaders in the unit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do pay them for that, too. They, they do get an extra incentive on their hourly pay whether, whenever they're in the building. Um, they're paid extra for this training and to be on the team. Um, the trade-off to that is they take regular assignments, just like any other staff member up there, um, and they have to be able to drop that assignment at the drop of a hat. When they get that phone call, they have to be able to pass it off to someone else next to them that's capable of you know, handling the extra load, and then they go set it up, put the guy on, mm-hmm. call in perfusion, and they're going to be off the unit for an hour, hour and a half while they're doing this, and then they go back and resume their regular assignment. Mm. Um, and, and so that's what makes it financially viable to do that because mm-hmm. you're not you don't have somebody just sitting around waiting for the phone call. Um, Because truthfully, we only do them like a dozen, 15 a year. And so if you were going to staff somebody just to sit and watch that happen, you can't do it financially.
0: Okay, let's talk a little bit about training. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about training your nurses for ECMA?
1: Um, it's initially, we have a training manual that we, we wrote and put together. They have to read that first, <laughs> um, after they've been accepted to the team. They apply for it as interview position. We accept, okay, this is the guy we're putting on the team. Then we give them the book. They have to read the little training manual. And then we have a one-on-one class with them, um, down in my office with both of our machines and the little idiosyncrasies between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes about 10, 12 hours. Just one-on-one, set it up, take it down, set it up, take it down, troubleshoot and all of that. Um, we fire in questions as they're setting it up. By the end of the thing, they have to be able to set it up within 10 minutes by themselves without any hits or misses or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that's the initial training. Then the real secret is they're only going to be doing this maybe once or twice a year if you've take, you know, got 25 members on the team and you do 10, 15 a year. Um, so they have to be able to do it at the drop of a hat. You know, when they're called, and they got to be able to have it going in 10 minutes. And so, to maintain that level of training, you got to have, um, we call it competency evaluation, um, every other month. It's the only team in the hospital that requires that. Every other month, they have to demonstrate competency either by coming to what we call MADLAB Day, open free for all in our office, where they have wet loop training and they get checked off for that. They can do it in the unit with another currently um, active member on the team, and they do the wet-loop training in the unit. Um, primarily a night shift does that because it's tough to get in for Mad lab Day. And then the third way is just put a patient on pump. If they actually do the setup, put a patient on pump. That counts. And have blood in the circuit so the patient, you know, makes it to that far. Then, uh, yeah, that counts as a check-off, too. And every other month they have to be checked off, every one of them.
0: So initial training, 8 to 10 hours mm-hmm. after reading the manual. Yep. And then, uh, and then every, every other, other month, month,
1: forever after, if they're on the team. And if they ever don't maintain that competency, they're immediately bounced, they lose their differential that first mm-hmm. of the month, that next month, until they get competent again or they're off the team. It's oh, kind harsh. of rigid requirement. Yeah, it's harsh. It's very harsh. Harsh is good. <laughs> I, harsh you is have good when for it comes this. to this. You, kind have of to. Thing. you can't mech this up. It, it's, yeah. it's just not right.
0: Okay, so th- what does it cost? What does it cost the hospital to keep this, this nurse run? Program
1: going? So, initial startup. Um, We use McKay um, pump heads, Mm -hmm. and then you got to have a heater, cooler, a blender, and a um, SVO2 monitor. So, the hardware? Yeah, the hardware, the capital, and this is capital, you can't build this to a patient. Capital is about 100K um, per cart, Mm -hmm. and you really got to have two you've got to have a backup. Um, so 100K there, the disposables, initial setup, you're going to have to have some extras in the hospital, about 10K, that's all patient billable. The disposables are billable, the circuit I'm talking about, yeah. and cannula. And then the training. If you do the math on that, if you run 12-hour shifts, 25 nurses generally should be able to provide you coverage. And when we set up the schedule up in SI, we always staff it so that there's two nurses on every shift that our ECMO team members. Um, to do that, it takes about 25 nurses. You figure 25 nurses, 10-hour training, an hourly rate, about $50 an hour for an SI nurse. It's about $12,500 if you do the math on that. A year. That's the initial startup right. to get them on to, right. s- to start a program. Okay. Um, and then ongoing, you're going to have the disposables, however many you use, but that's completely patient billable, not a problem there. And then the training, you got to factor 25 nurses and every other month we provide them two hours of continuing education hours um, so it works out to about fifteen thousand a year to ongoing training with nurses I see and then you got the override rate if you're going to pay your nurses extra to be on the team whatever your, your deal is with that the other thing you got to factor in is perfusion um, the perfusionists, we do pay them to be on call to come in and cover it then once they're set up and on and it's a contracted rate with um, whatever the perfusion service you're going to be using so that will vary hospital to hospital, too. you got to factor that in.
0: But the numbers you're talking about here, aside from the initial startup numbers, mm-hmm. the numbers you're talking about aren't that, in the that grand much. scheme of things, not no, that much money to keep, to, to keep a program going.
1: To keep a program going once you're up and running, it's pretty minimal. And and you, this is a billable kind of an event. Um, there is um, a, um, DRG numbers for it, and you can bill. There's a daily initial date charge and then a daily rate every pa- patient that we put on. Our department's responsible for setting a bill on it every single day.
0: And how is the reimbursement on that?
1: It, it's good I mean it, it is it, like I said it has DRG code a recognized um, code so it's completely billable by insurance and everything else
0: so it's not like a situation where the hospitals running in the running in the you know running in the red trying to keep this generally program. not
1: yeah. generally not this is I won't say profitable mm-hmm. but um, I, I certainly you're not going to lose a lot of money on it it, hmm. it, it is going to break even at least.
0: Okay, and just to jump back real quick, and you were talking about the hardware versus the disposables. Right. Let's just clarify that real quick. The hardware is the machinery that we have.
1: The capital equipment that the hospital owns doesn't, you know, it's used multiple times on multiple patients. Um, And then the disposables are the things like the circuit and the cannula Mm -hmm. used once on one patient and billed to that patient and then thrown away when you're done with
0: it. So essentially the circuit includes the tubing? The tubing, the pump. pump
1: head, and the oxygenator.
0: And all that stuff is disposable because blood Correct. flows through that and so yep, yep, it's exposed yep. to patient blood. Yeah. And, uh, and that, in our facility, we don't purchase, my understanding is we don't purchase a pre-made circuit. We no,
1: it is. It's a custom-made kit that um, we had McKay, um, you know, we gave them the specs we wanted. And then McKay puts together this custom kit that all comes as one thing. So we open the box, prime it, and all the tubing is hooked together.
0: Okay, and I'll be certain to put a a copy of what that looks like, and I'll run through the circuit as well, and I'll put that in the show notes for this episode, so people will be able to see that. Uh, And then the cannulas that we use—what cannulas are we using? We
1: use Metronic cannula, Um, venous and arterial cannula. They are different, obviously. The venous and Mm -hmm. arterial different lengths Mm -hmm. and sizes and everything. We've tried a bunch of different cannulas. Truthfully, we found that one to be the best, the easiest to place, and it's that drop-off gap when you gap when you go from the introducer to the cannula itself that, that you've got to have a smooth transition there, otherwise you're getting hung up on the vessels.
0: Yeah, we've talked about that particular oh, okay. thing a okay. lot in yeah. the process of cannulation because yeah. that is kind of a hanging point. Sure. No matter what cannula you <laughs> use, Hang is, up right? right on that yeah, vessel, yeah. It really does. And even, you know, we had a discussion just yesterday mm-hmm. with uh, Dr. Dembitsky and yeah. the rest of the crew, and all the doctors seem to have the same trouble right at that, right at that spot, no matter it's, what the cannula is.
1: Exactly. And I, I will tell you, some of them are a lot more, a hmm. bigger lip on them. Yeah. and so they catch more. Um, yeah. This one has, it's been a winner for us for a while. Okay.
0: What I want to do now <laughs> is I want to talk about how sort of a day in the life of the ECMO ICU nurse. So okay. as an ER doctor, I will hear about a patient coming in. Let's just have mm-hmm. for sake of example, a 59-year-old guy is coming in, and you hear that he's arresting and rude. So I have the idea that this is a potentially potentially an ECMO candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I usually do is I'll call up to the as I'm preparing everything so else you know for the, better. the room, yeah. I call up to the SICU, and uh-huh. I basically let the... Charge nurse know, or the ECMO team member that's is there, say so yeah. we've got a potential ECMO mm-hmm. patient coming in. What happens upstairs?
1: Upstairs, the um, like I said, we always staff it with two nurses on. The nurses are trained so they can do it by themselves, and so if you know you get sick call or something like that, they can do it by themselves. But it's so much easier if there's two of them. And they purposely, when they make their assignments out um, first thing on their shift, they put them on the opposite ends of the unit, so you're not stripping down one mm. half of the unit. So they, that all comes into play. Um, so the, the nurses that get the call then, they have to pass off their assignment to folks next to them that can handle it, either a resource nurse, charge nurse, or if there's a more, um, I should, not elderly, but a more senior, more seasoned staff member, they'll pass off their assignment to them, and they'll be expected to monitor their patients for the next couple hours, however long they're gone. They bring with them then, up in SIs where we store the equipment, so they bring the cart that has the pump, the heater, cooler, all of the hardware, the capital equipment on it. And then they're going to bring a tray, a cart we have with all of the disposable equipment, it's the cannula, the um, fluid you need to get on, everything you need to put a, um, lines in, either percutaneous or with a cut down. They bring all that down, stuff down to um, wherever the scene of the event is, the emergency room or radiology or wherever it's happening. And um, they'll assess the patient, make sure this is actually going to go. Um, that we're going to put them on ECMO, and then um, they'll to start off, the circuit. Real quick,
0: yeah. when, the way I see it when it mm. comes into the ER mm-hmm. is the, the cart is, on a, is a mobile cart on wheels mm-hmm. that has the, yes. the, the ECMO machinery, yep. and then there's a separate cart that seems to have all the, all the disposable stuff. stuff, all the disposable yep, yep. stuff
1: two, right? So it's two wheeling carts coming with everything you need to do it.
0: And how long does it take to get from RSSU down to our ER?
1: Depending on the elevators. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> elevators factor in probably a minute or two. Okay, and so it pretty really doesn't quickly. take long. Yeah, yeah. yeah the transport didn't. It depends on where you go. We've gone as far as, like, out to Mary Birch, and then, you know, it's a 10-minute hike, and you're pushing and running. The sure. Mary Birch is our women's you and women's children's hospital. hospital. Correct. And so yeah. it may
0: be an amniotic fluid. Yes. Embolus, that kind of a thing. Yep. We might be marching over there sometimes. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so nurses get down to the mm-hmm. – they, they bring both carts down to the mm-hmm. emergency room. You've got two nurses working. Yeah. Describe what they're doing. Now, I, as the they're, doc, I'm running the code, and I'm also can't in the process of cannulating. Correct. Correct. But you guys are doing – simultaneously doing right. what?
1: The, the nurses' mission that come with this, they have to get the circuit primed and set up and on the machine to what is,
0: go. What does primed mean?
1: Prime, um, fill it with fluid. When you okay. lift it out of the box, it's completely sterile inside, but it's air-filled. <laughs> that is not. You can't. You have to have that air completely gone and primed with fluid. Um, so their mission is to get that loaded onto the machine appropriately in all the right places, and then they got to fill it with fluid. You cannot have any air. Um, and so they have to circulate. We have a bridge built into the circuit so they can run that fluid through there to clear every bit of air out of it they're the only people at the scene that can do that. And so as much as they might want to help you guys put cannula in or something else, we tell them they got to put blinders on and ignore everything else going on around them until that thing is primed. Once it's primed, then absolutely they're going to get engaged and help get cannulas in, run the code, whatever else needs to get done to get it ready to go on. Then once, once it's all primed, the cannula are in, they'll pass off um, the, the head of the circuit um, to the doc, who's just put the cannula in. So tubing. They're handing off. the yes, doctor handing tubing. Off. And they hand it off sterilely. Um, sure. The top end we keep in a sterile wrap, so they'll hand it off sterile to them. And then they, as part of their prime, they've got a syringe, couple of big giant syringes full of um, solution.
0: Tumi syringes. Exactly. Sort of,
1: yeah. Yeah, they're, they're 60cc syringes with a small tip on them so that we can top off the cannula and the um, circuit. So that when you put it together, you have a completely fluid-filled circuit, no air.
0: And so the way that I've done this is I'm holding up yeah, you just one hold hand, I'm up. holding the cannula of coming from the patient in my exactly. one hand, and the other hand I'm circuit. holding the circuit tubing, yep. and then you, and usually the ICU will, will the squirt the fluid yep. on the top. Yep. And then as they're squirting, you slowly close Jam that it together. circuit. Yep. So now the patient's vessel is directly connected to the circuit. Correct. And there's Correct. one in the artery, usually one in the artery and one in the vein if you're doing VA ECMO. Yes. <laughs> usually. And, and then that connects to the circuit you talked about. Correct. And at that point, we close the bridge.
1: Yeah, once those two... are Well, it's, they're going to hand it off to you with the bridge closed. Right. Um, but all of your tubing and the circuit are both have clamps on them. And so once both connections are made, they'll release the clamps on it, and they'll turn on support. They just dial up the RPM. The only thing you have control over is RPM. And then RPM, or your flow, is dependent on the speed, the, di- the size of the cannula, and how much circulating volume you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to dial up the, um, the speed to get... Maximum flow with minimum RPM is their target goal. Obviously we want an SVO2 70, they'll hook up the SVO2 machine and um, make sure we're oxygenating this and um, then they'll be on bypass. At the time when they go to the scene, one of the first things they do is make a call to the OR to tell them to call in the perfusionist. And they're living at home, so depending on San Diego traffic, um, it can take them half hour, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour to get in here. Um, and they will relieve them when they show up.
0: And do we have a, is there a contracted time that they yes. have to be here by?
1: Yeah, there is. Okay, fair <laughs> There enough. is, but it's, okay. it's traffic. Okay. And so it's always traffic. When they get here, they get here. Okay. <laughs> and then, then the nurse will, you know, give report off to the, the perfusionist that's going to take over the pump, and they go back to their regular assignment back in SI.
0: Okay. The last thing I wanted to ask you is uh, let's pretend like you were asked a new hospital starting up. hmm Three blocks away. Let's just make it 10 miles away so yeah, it's yeah. not competing. Irvine,
1: that's where I've been last all right, start fair enough. <laughs>
0: And you've been asked to come out and mm-hmm. be and run the program, design a program mm-hmm. from the start. Um, you have cardiothoracic surgeons. You have people who know how to do ECMO. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to start a program. Can you give any tips on how you might, if you're going to do this from the beginning, any, any pearls of wisdom? The, you might um, help like I said,
1: you have to have all three disciplines involved. You have to have the, the cardiothoracic surgeons involved. You have to have nursing administration, particularly I'd, I'd focus on the ICU, surgical ICU. Um, and you've got to have perfusion. You, you need to find a champion in each of those disciplines um, to really get the program off the ground and get it going. You have to have hospital administration backing and support on this. They really have to be on board, too, just to get the initial capital and to keep it going keep the fire ignited and burning and, and continuing along. So you've got to find those targets, whoever they are in your building. you got to find them first and get them involved. Um, and then you got to figure out how you want to run it. As I said, our, we run it with nurse-run program. It seems to work easier. I do know there are other hospitals that use um, both um, perfusionists to run the whole thing, and it's all that way. Again, that's tough to do it emergently unless you're at, I know of teaching hospitals that have perfusionists in-house all the time 24-7 that works for them. They can run with a perfusion run um, that way. I heard another hospital, I think University of Michigan, they have an ECMO team. They use perfusion to get them on, but then their ECMO team is respiratory therapists and nurses um, combination, and they will manage the pump long term. Um, So you kind of need to figure out how it's going to work best for your hospital, Um, and a lot of it hinges whether it's a teaching facility or not, whether they have hot and cold run or (laughs) perfusionists. And then once you've got that then you need a, a few, and there's some paperwork involved. As far as um, we do have policy um, that the nurses work off, because like to to start a patient on pump, you got to give five thousand a heparin um, initial bolus, just not cloth circuit, put heparin in the thing, that kind of stuff. So they need either policy or direct orders to cover them mm-hmm. to do that. So you got to have there is some paper involved. You have to have some policies written, um, and then um, not initially, but down the road, then we had a contract with the nurses. Um, union that paid them the pre- premium, and all you got to factor into that too, because that's going to enter into it. And then we interview for positions and find out who you want to put on the team, and train them, and off you go.
0: So we'll uh, we'll we'll post ways that we can get okay. a hold of you. <laughs> and yeah, they, put my email on okay. there. We
1: get them all the time. Okay, <laughs> that sounds
0: great. That sounds great. Uh, okay, well the very last question is uh, this: you have w- one of the things that I think could be really detrimental to a new program Mm -hmm. would be um, a number of cases that come in that end up not surviving. And I wanted to maybe touch a little bit on the nihilist kind of negative attitudes that can sometimes start developing after you've put three or four or five patients in a row. We've seen that here, Kind of
1: how I look at that. And truly, I get that that a fair amount from anytime you go through a spurt where you have a couple of patients that don't do well, then everybody's up in arms. And the way you got to look at it is, the patients we put on pump, they're all 100% dead when we start with them. You can't make them more dead. I mean, you can't make it worse. All you can do is possibly make it better. Um, and, and, yes, it, it is true compared to other long-term VADs and stuff. The survival rates are horrible for this. When you compare it to, you know, sure. 80% survival at one year for long-term LVAD versus this, 27%, 30% at best. Um, yeah, we're starting out with a different animal here. You're starting out 100% dead when you put them on. It, and so all you can do is go up. Um, and I would much rather the cost of the equipment to put them on to initially start it and everything is minimal. It, it's a, almost about the price of a swan to put them on, on, on ECMO. And so I would much rather err on the side of putting them on pump and then take them off when it's, you've realized this is probably not a good candidate or something. Um, it, it's much, you give the guy a chance. Sure, it and is. It's way give them a one of the
0: things we did out when we started the mm-hmm. ER-based program, knowing that our numbers would probably be worse mm-hmm. than our in-house numbers because a lot of the information isn't, when patients it's new, come there's in. there's a learning curve. Well, not just that, but we don't always know. Yeah, the information you're that you working get, blind,
1: completely blind when they come working in.
0: working pretty blind, so yeah. we, information tends to trickle in, and mm-hmm. so we often don't really know, so we're starting this process early on. And
1: I'm a huge fan of that. I, I would much rather put them on and then oh, realize ok no we shouldn't have done that let's take them back off again you can always turn it off you cannot turn it on after you've gone past that little magic window because then you have a dead head
0: and i would say from the doc side at least i've experienced almost no pushback from yeah. the intensivists or the nope. cardiologists saying you know hey you never should have done that kind of thing and, no, you know, that, we're, we're giving dead people a chance to live.
1: Exactly and i think they recognize that as such as you start out dead knowing nothing it's much much better to take a risk and put them on and, um,
0: Sure. And one of the things, as you know, we did is, is we made our inclusion and exclusion criteria yeah. very very tight to start, Perfect. hopefully to improve our initial yeah. survivorship, and, and that actually worked. And we had a number of survivors, which then creates right. a, a, a wave of excitement about what's going on, as <laughs> exactly. opposed to the exactly. negativism that can occur if you've got several.
1: It, and, it can, and it can really eat on a program. It, it's just you always have to look at it like anybody that survives is a huge win, because mm-hmm. they were not walking out of here when you met them. They were dead. And, and so any any one survivor is a huge success. Well,
0: there's That's how you look n- at no it. better way to end than that right there. Yeah. Suzanne, I can't <laughs> thank you enough for helping us out today and talking about My how pleasure. we do our nurse-based program here at Sharp. My pleasure. Yeah, okay, so that wraps up yet another episode of the ED Egmo podcast. Can't thank you enough for listening and following along. A couple of housekeeping items. First, head on over to the website, www.edecmo.org slash 12 and leave your comments and questions in the show notes. Uh, let's join the community. Let's learn this stuff together. Next, coming up, August 18th through the 21st is the Emergency Medicine Update Conference here in San Diego, California. On August 19th, I am going to be speaking on state of the art resuscitation. And lastly, October 21st is the Bring Me Back to Life Conference in montreal canada heavy hitter all-star lineup of resuscitationists and speakers again head on over to the website www.edecmo.org slash 12 the show notes are there and you can click through the links on behalf of scott weingart zach shiner for the ed ecmo podcast this is joe and we are signing out